Hello, everyone. This is Meena Puri, your host of Igniting Change, Finding Your Fire, a weekly podcast that's inspired by my practice and the client stories and what shows up in the hopes that you also may benefit from what my clients benefit from. So today is a very special episode. In my last episode, I talked about the medical diagnosis and the limitations that it can create in the patient's healing. So today I have with me a very special guest. Her name is Andrea, and she is a cancer thriver. She followed um, the 10 healing factors of radical remission written by Dr. Kelly Turner, who also wrote another book called Radical Hope. Um, Andrea is someone who uh, debunked or didn't buy into the cancer diagnosis of traditional Western medicine and sought help elsewhere. And she is now no longer a cancer thriver, but she teaches the same mechanisms and tools that she learned to recover from cancer to other people who might um, benefit from it and to really impart hope to those people who are struggling with cancer and think that there perhaps there's no way out. So Kelly, uh, so Andrea, thank you so much for joining. I really welcome you to my podcast and grateful that you're willing to share your story. Uh, So I'm going to turn it over to Kelly. So go ahead and you can tell your story a little bit in your own words to the listeners for their benefit. Sure. Thank you so much, Mina. So six years ago, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. The actual diagnosis was high-grade clear cell ovarian carcinoma. It scared me to the depths of my soul. Uh, Anybody listening who has faced a cancer diagnosis, most of us are terrified. I have known a few people who shrug it off and they amaze me, but I wasn't in that group. And most people I know do not actually fall into that group. We're terrified. And I was one of those people who was absolutely terrified. I was far away from my my usual community. I had recently moved and I fell into, for lack of a better term, I fell into the hands of practitioners who I did not know, nor did they know me. And when that happens, you basically get on a fast train. It's a fast track to surgery, diagnosis, and then even faster to treatment. So unwittingly and unknowingly, I I got on that train because I didn't know that there were any other choices available to me. I did not know about personal empowerment. I had a radical hysterectomy, had no news in the hospital, and uh, 10 days or so later when I went for my my post-op visit, I was told that cancer had been found in an ovary, and because of that, I would be, I, would, I was being asked, actually told, to undergo three months of intensive chemotherapy. In that, that terrifying few moments, something in my mind caused me to say to the doctor, what could I have done differently? And his answer was, you don't change an outcome like this. And even in my terror and in my racing mind, I knew that couldn't be right. We always have choices, but I didn't know what those choices would be. So 24 hours later, 
after a very rough night's sleep, obviously, 24 hours later, I decided I would look into other options. And um, I began to make lifestyle changes within two weeks after that. The first thing I did was alter my diet. And then I proceeded to make other changes, other changes, other changes. I just kept building on them for six weeks. Ultimately, for treatment, I chose um, an integrative clinic in Germany called Clinic Marinus Amstein. And really, again, took a huge leap of faith, but everything in me was saying that I would not make it through chemo. Now, I have to also stop for a moment and say, I'm not here to tell anybody to choose my treatment choice. We're all individuals and we, we're all different. I knew for me that was the wrong thing. So I did go to Germany. I had this surgery. I did go to Germany. When I got to Germany, two days after I got there, they ran my blood for the first time in about eight weeks. And that was by choice. I had chosen not to engage with conventional medicine until I got to Germany because I knew I knew that the prognosis they were giving me was going to grow and grow and grow. It's typically what happens with, with a lot of us in cancer, in the, in the cancer industry, for, for lack of a better word. So two days after I got to Germany, my blood tests were, were fine. I had not been given that information prior to that. I was told that I should do the chemo, that the reason for the chemo was to reduce recurrence. And even in my terrible mental state, which really was, it was very bad, I, I knew that somewhere in there, without it being said, I was being told, well, the cancer is not active now, so we want to use this as preventative medicine. And that did not sound like preventative medicine that was going to be good for my body and particularly my soul. So I, I left Germany successfully, um, treated, um, had a lot of encouragement there, and continued to build on these lifestyle changes that I did not actually know at the time were the 10 healing factors of radical remission. So I spent a year changing everything about my life. To recover from cancer takes massive action, really. Um, and I took that massive action because it was better to me to be very proactive and look at every area of my life, mind, body, spirit, and change those things that I could recognize and change. So that's what I did for a year, but still lived with a lot of fear because cancer does that to you. Many diagnoses will, and cancer is one of them, okay? It's probably one of the top three or four that will just take a, take a piece out of your very spirit, out of your soul. And that is what happened to me. So I, I lived in a lot of fear. I did the responsible thing that I was told to do, which was to do follow-up blood work. I was always fine. And really, I felt amazingly well. And I knew that that was because of those lifestyle changes that I had made and continued to make and build on. A year after, a year in, I was still well, and literally the book Radical Remission fell into my possession somehow. I, I really don't even remember how it happened. And I sat down and I began to read the book Radical Remission. And the more I read, the more excited I became because what I was reading was myself. Even though I was not one of Dr. Turner's case studies, those case studies were me. I recognized every single factor that she had researched and that supported the hypothesis that people do recover from cancer with lifestyle medicine, I will call it lifestyle medicine because that's really for me what it was, <clears throat> excuse me. And 
I, I was so excited. I actually, if I could have taken the book Radical Remission, put it in a blender and made it into a smoothie and drank it real fast, that's what I would have done because that's, that's, how, that's how much it changed my life. I knew I was doing the right things and Dr. Turner's research proved it to me personally. I didn't need much after that. I knew I was on the right path. I continued to interact with doctors of my choosing after that. And that, that's a big part of being empowered on any healing journey. You need to know who you want on your team and know that you are in charge of that. Your doctor, your physician really is not in charge of that. They are experts in many things and conventional medicine is astounding in so many ways, but they weren't an expert in me. And I knew that immediately when I got my diagnosis, I thought this guy does not know me. He's never spoken to me. The most time he has spent with me was while I was unconscious. He knows nothing about me, nor, nor did he care, really. He wasn't interested in knowing me. He was interested in prescribing and getting me to the place that he thought I should be at very, very quickly. I'm, I'm not going to discredit him in that way, but it wasn't right for me. So knowing what I knew about radical remission, I had this huge, immense weight of fear lift off my shoulders because I had done these things for a year. I had done them from surgery on, or about maybe two weeks out of surgery. I had done them from that point on. Could I point to a single thing in those 10 factors that, you know, this is the thing that healed me? I have to honestly say it was the combination. It was the combination and the consistent doing, the consistent living of those 10 healing factors. At that time, there were nine. Her, her new book goes her newest book, Radical Hope, identified another one because her her research is is always continuing. It's an, an ongoing process. But I knew that those things had changed my life, and they hadn't just changed my life as far as the CA125, you know, the the, the mark the blood marker for ovarian cancer. They hadn't just changed that. I noticed, I would say three, four months, maybe six months in. Six months into these changes, they were probably occurring slowly because cellular changes don't hit you with a big bang like pharmaceutical drugs and surgery do. We're building, we're building, we're building. Yeah. So cellular changes were constantly taking place, but I did not have the awareness of it. And my first, aside from my really good blood results, which thrilled me, uh, six months in, I noticed that a lot of other things I had been struggling with for probably all of my adult life, and that had continued to worsen up until the time of my diagnosis, were gone. Joint pain was gone. Stomach upset, upset was gone. Headaches, which I used to get fairly often, not debilitating ones, but I would say two, three times a week, I was reaching for aspirin or Tylenol because I would have a headache. Um, I began to get peace inside. And that was a slower go because for a lot of people, especially Western thinkers, it is a slower go for us. We have very busy, very busy minds and we use our busyness to often act like anesthesia for our lives and for our shadow work. So that was a slower realization for me, but I was very fortunate to have people support me in that as I was going along. And fast forward to today, um, I continue to be very well, very healthy. I continue to build on those things I initially discovered really instinctively. And that came from just that 
voice. Okay. Now I, I would describe it as I always call it inner wisdom or inner brilliance. And we all have it, but we override it so often, or we let circumstances around us override it. When I was diagnosed, I couldn't override that voice that said, Andrea, this is not for you. There's a different way, a better way, and you're going to find that way. What I didn't realize when I made that small step, Mina, was how far that journey would take me, how difficult it would be at times, because it was difficult. Making changes is, is tough. You need, you need support to make changes. What I didn't realize was that it would change my life. I, I mean, in every way possible. I don't even have the words for it. In 2017, I became one of the first radical, I became part of the first class of radical remission teachers to be certified by Dr. Turner to bring her research forward in both workshops and personal, you know, private coaching, which I continue to do. Obviously, COVID has put a little, little, little damper on everybody's live workshops, but that's coming around again, thankfully. But I do continue to coach people. And more importantly, I think, especially in line with what we were talking about, which is in a way defying labels, mm-hmm. more importantly, I think, is that I continue to live these things. I didn't make them up. In the beginning, it was sheer instinct that took me on this path with a couple of very wonderful people who cheered me on. And that's very rare in a a cancer journey, actually. And I want to make that more common, hopefully with this podcast and with everything else I do for the rest of my life. I I want to make that more common. I want people to to lose their fear, number one, of talking about cancer, because people are literally afraid to talk about it. And I don't want people to ever be afraid of taking control of what they can control and making decisions based on that. And Dr. Turner's research supports those things. And that was mind blowing for me that I had that inner voice that said, do this, do that. Didn't have the research terms for it. If you were to ask me to list them now, I would say, well, I practiced forgiveness. I changed my diet. I filtered my water. I did my inner work, um, all of which was was difficult, really, when you're starting out because you really don't know. For me, I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. And went it to Germany. I didn't know if that was the right thing to do. But I followed my voice. And what I've learned is that that's a very, very reliable voice. We do need help sometimes to bring it out, which I think is, I've read so much about you and since we met last week and there's so much of what you do is to help people find that, you know, that inner voice that is your, your best GPS. That's your North Star, really. You can listen to other things from outside, but always weigh them against your North Star, always weigh them against your inner brilliance. And that's what I have come to live. And that's what I, I, you know, embody every day to the best of my ability. And that's what I want to share. If I could return just for a moment to the label part, because that that caught my eye right away when I when I read one of your one of your um, posts, I think it was several weeks ago, and you were talking about the labels and how they affect us. I knew right away what that was like, because everybody, some some to this day will continue to do it. But everywhere you go after you get a diagnosis, particularly cancer, but not only cancer, I was the cancer patient. I wasn't Andrea anymore. I was a cancer patient. In family gatherings, I wasn't Andrea anymore. I was one with cancer. Oh, my goodness. And and people do this sometimes thinking they're being kind, 
but mostly they're just afraid. Really, they're just afraid that that diagnosis is going to land on them or somebody they know. And if we just don't talk about it, it's going to disappear. It's going to disappear or not happen. And I knew that wasn't true. And I knew there really wasn't anything, you know, serious on the outside. You know, the obvious things like smoking and um you know, maybe heavy drinking. I didn't have those things present in my life. I worked out regularly and, you know, was, I thought, conscious of my diet. I realized very quickly, oh my goodness, I've been poisoning myself for years and calling it healthy eating. That was a huge wake-up call for me. Uh, but the wake-up calls kept coming as I went deeper and deeper into my being, deeper and deeper into the layers of my life, because we all have so many layers. And again, very difficult for the Western mind, I've learned, to, to grasp that we are not separate parts. And that is, I'm going to digress for a minute. That's the problem. That's how we end up getting labeled in Western medicine. And again, I know Western medicine has its purpose, and I would never say to somebody, do not follow your doctor's advice, but also follow what you're feeling and knowing inside and seek, seek information outside of what you're being told in that eight minute or 10 minute conversation when the doctor says, this is what you've got and this is what you need. Always step out of that box. You're not going to die. Literally, people are not going to die in the one or two weeks, in my case, eight weeks that it takes to get the information that you want. If you're that ill, which is very unlikely with many cancer patients, statistically, I don't know what the statistic is, so I wanna be careful with that one. But I know I've talked to enough people, I see them, I talk to them, they've got advanced cancers and they're, they're told they're gonna to die and two, three years later, they're still alive because they've made changes. And with the research that Dr. Turner has done, we know that now 25, even 30 years down the road, people have recovered from late stage cancers. Getting back to the label, I would not allow that to happen to myself. Every time I looked at a record that said, first of all, my pathology was absolutely terrifying. I wouldn't even look at it for, for weeks because the headline is not you. The headline is literally, it's a big, bold headline on your pathology. High grade, um, clear cell ovarian carcinoma. The first time I oh, saw that, God. I thought, but that's not who I am. How did, how did I end up being this bold banner that is words that do not describe me? Nobody knew me. And it took, that was, that was horrifying for me. And I went into actually a very deep panic depression for probably two or three weeks after that. And slowly but surely, I realized that's not me. Now, there's another issue in the cancer experience and that is people will tell you your genes. And I had that you are your genes, right? You're your genetic, whatever your genetics show up as. I would not actually have genetic testing because I knew enough about ovarian cancer to know that whatever that said, that was not just going to apply to me. It was going to apply to my daughters. I had two adult, young adult daughters at the time. Now there's, you know, they're more mature, obviously, like I am. And I remember needing to fight that too. I remember sitting down and thinking, wait, I'm not, I will not have this presented as my daughter's future, either one of them, just because it happened to me. So that was another big battle for me. But every time I had to request a record to be transferred, every time I had to look at anything related to any correspondence doctors shared, it was always my name, a diagnosis, and it would start 
Andrea is Sexton is blah, 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 female cancer patient. And I had to refuse that. I actually came up with a term for it for myself later on. I call it deny and defy. Internally, I thought that is not me. And people would say to me, you know, you need to join a cancer support group. Very well-meaning, very loving. And I would actually look at these professional people, Mm -hmm. look them right in the eye and say, but I'm not a cancer patient. And they would not know what to say to me because all the records said, you're a cancer patient. Mm -hmm. Equal to that, while I was having conversations with these professionals, they would also be saying to me, but your blood work looks good. You're healthy. Can't find too much wrong with you. Actually, I couldn't find anything wrong with me, truthfully. Um, They did so much blood work on me at one point. It was literally pages. I had switched doctors. That was after I came back from the from from Germany, and I I switched to a, a a doctor in the U.S. because again, you want to you want to do the responsible thing for yourself. So I chose a different doctor that I actually liked and liked me. She ran so much blood work; it was more than any other doctor had ever run on me. I got pages and pages of lab work back, and nothing. When I tell you nothing, there was nothing found. Nothing was wrong. But yet, wherever I go in the medical system, I'm still seen as a cancer patient. And the other, the other label that people love in the U.S. is NED, no evidence of disease. Now, I was treated in Germany. My German doctor didn't use that term. I don't think it meant anything to him, for one thing, because he saw people as individuals. Mm-hmm. But that's another label we love to use. And I understand why people celebrate that. But if your blood work is clear, if nobody's finding anything in a CAT scan and a doctor doesn't stamp NED on you, which actually didn't happen for me, as I said, because of my treatment choice. And because I had a doctor in Germany who wasn't actually couldn't, and really most doctors don't communicate with each other anyway, we all know this. Um, They weren't communicating they would look at his report and think, well, she's, she, there's still got to be something here. And oh. I saw it over and over and over again. They didn't want to discourage me, but they certainly did not want to encourage me either. So those two labels are very tricky. NED is certainly cause for celebration. My report from Germany actually says, and it's a little hard to understand because it's both in German and English. So there is a little bit, sometimes there's a little bit lost in the translation there. Um, But when I looked at the end result of my, you know, the, the records I came home with from Germany, I looked at original diagnosis and the doctor had written canceled. Well, in America, that doesn't mean anything. He didn't say NED, so it didn't, it didn't mean anything. Um, but it meant enough to me. <laughs> it meant enough to me. I had d- developed enough of a relationship with that doctor, um, which was very interesting because he um, he believed in me and I mattered to him. And if I were to, even though you didn't ask this, I do want to share this because if I were to identify one single thing that took me from being afraid that I would die to believing that I would live, it would be two things and both of them happened in Germany. Number one, I mattered. And I knew it the day I walked through the door there. I mattered in Germany. 
They called me by my name. They did not talk about the diagnosis. They asked me what I would like for dinner. They said to me, when the doc, when you're ready, the doctor will see you. And in that moment, I thought, where am I? When I am ready, the doctor will see me. That's the complete opposite of what happens everywhere in, 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 in America and also in Europe. I mean, standard of care is standard of care, but that's the complete opposite. And in that split second, when I arrived in Germany, and that was literally 10 minutes after I had walked through the doors of the clinic, exhausted and afraid, that's when I knew there's something different here. And that, that awareness that I actually mattered as a human being probably was the most transformative piece of my recovery and my continued wellness. Because when I become afraid, it's been a long time since I've been afraid. And it does, for some people, it takes a long time. It was a long journey for me to, to, to shed the fear, took a lot of work, a lot of shadow work, a lot of meditative inner work, a lot. And there are still times when some little thing will pop up and try to grab me by the throat. And I always, that's my safe place in my head now. And I I had that with me the moment I walked through those doors. And when I left again, three weeks later, when I left Germany, I knew that I mattered. And because I mattered, I trusted what that doctor told me because he looked me in the eye. When I got to Germany, it was the very first time anybody had even gone over my pathology with me. And he knew, he knew that. The minute he met me, he said, has anybody gone over your lab work with you? Have oh, you my and yeah. I said, no, it, it stunned me. I didn't know doctors did that. I didn't even know it was something you could ask for. That's how ignorant I was. And I said, no. And he said, well, come on and sit down. He went through it page by page, line by line. By the time he got to the bottom, he said, do you see what I see? He said, whatever happened to you? He said, it's a little thing. He said, it's a little thing. He said, and we're going to stay the course here. He said, but you're going to be well. Can you ever imagine a doctor saying that in the U.S., really? They'd be sued for saying you're going to be well, literally. They'd be shunned and criticized and, you know, and they would lose their license. He said to me, you're going to be well. He said, five years from now, you're going to be healthy. I'm now at six plus. He said, 10 years from now, you're going to be healthy. He said, you're going to live a long, beautiful, fruitful life. And that changed everything. It changed everything. It took a lot longer for me, as I said, to shed the fear, which had been, I probably had a lot of it even before getting diagnosed and that brought it up, which meant that it was a message I had to deal with. And that was the means my body used to bring that up. It's time to deal with this anxiety that you deal with all the time. So in that way, even though people hardly will ever say I'm grateful for my cancer journey, it took me it took me a long time to get to that point to say, my gosh, I can look back on those hellish years and I actually am beginning to live a life of gratitude for what happened to me because I have a lot, enough distance now and, 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 you know, being well makes a huge difference. It's very hard. I work with Clients who I know they're thinking about that tumor, they're thinking about that tumor, they're thinking about that tumor. And I constantly and lovingly bring them back to, but you're more than a tumor. What about these other parts of you? What about what you want to do for the future? What about so many things, right? What about, you know, amping up your nutrition? Because in my mind, there's no such thing as too much nutrition when you're healing from a disease, especially one like cancer. 
So that is really a long story. Wow. <laughs> it was a really lengthy story. Um, I wish I could condense it a little bit better and I, I'm working on that, but that is really my story. <laughs> no, my goodness. You know, I mean, there's so much in your story I was that it's filled. It's filled with so much of the knowing and the information and the mindset that we need to get from it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I need to highlight the whole story. Do you know, so, because I can't, so what I'm gonna do is I'm trying to, I mean, I am so touched. You spoke the truth in so many things, so, so much of what happens in the medical world here and so much how people are treated. And so the, the things that stand out for me, number one, is you realized that I, you can choose. Yes. You can either choose to listen to this doctor or not. And you tuned into when he was kind of walking you down this cancer path, because that's what happens. You have cancer, you become a cancer patient. That's the path you follow, support groups included, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, when you, you said like you became a banner, when it, you know, how, how do you even stop the visual of that? when you give the patients that big, bold writing of their diagnosis. So there's so much identification with it because yes, yes. here's a person of authority who identifies you with that diagnosis, with that disease. Yes. And, you know, when you realize that you have a choice you took the step, you went to Germany, and you noticed the difference. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's so much you said in the whole story. Like, what stands out for me is you mattered. You weren't cancer. You are Andrea. This is what you like to eat. This is who you are. And this is, you mattered. Mm -hmm. And the doctor in Germany saw the diagnosis or the disease that was happening as a small thing that happened to you. It's a very different way of looking at it than thinking you are the cancer patient, which means every, all the life that you have lived up to that point and whoever you have become, all the accomplishments, what you are all about, it has zero significance because at the end of it, you just become a cancer patient. Yes. If the disease isn't going to kill you, just that way of thinking will kill you in more ways than the body. Yes. And if everything else is dead, the body is not going to sustain. The body is not going to be disease-free. And, and that is, you know, that's, that's where the problem, problem is with the labels mm -hmm. in front of the labels everything else diminishes and you know I'm sure you have read I have read many times where um, you know there's a story my mentor shared with us that this woman had a terminal illness probably cancer and the doctor never told her he never told her he continued to treat her with lifestyle choices and everything else she was living 
Well, he retired and a new doctor took over the office. He read the file. He didn't understand what this doctor was trying to do. He told the patient, he told the lady, oh, you have cancer. She died within a matter of a few months. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it just really goes to show you, you know, we can't change the whole um, medical system but we can change how we view it. We can choose whether we buy into that system. We can choose whether we buy into their protocols and their way of diagnosing and their way of treating or not. And, the, and you know, you said that he's not your doctor. He, he's not a doctor on you. Right. And that is so true. And I tell people that I work with, I tell them and I said, I work with them to get the answers from them that are already there, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you are your own doctor. Everybody knows is the point is to bring that knowledge to the awareness of the person so they can follow that knowledge instead of dictating. Yes. When you're dictating, whether you're dictating, whether you're in the Western medicine field or holistic medicine that is now called, uh, which is another point, um, you are not in charge. You're not feeling empowered. So my God, and your story has like, it's just so much courage, so much you learned how to listen to your own voice and you went through the hard work of doing the inner work. But that inner work is never going to go anywhere. No. It's with you. It has transformed you in a way that following this cancer diagnosis pathway in the Western medicine will have never opened that up for you. Right. So yeah, I always say, look, you can always take a pill. You can always take a pill. Yes. Let that be your last resort. Why don't you do all the other things? Because there's so much learning about yourself that is in there in, in taking another choice. And, you know, when you chose all kinds of um, help and information appeared for you, you actually found the book after you made the choice and when you had already gone to Germany. And there comes this book which really reaffirmed everything you were feeling like you were the person that she was writing about, mm -hmm. right? So when we hear that voice, we think that, should we trust that voice? It's not just your voice, it's the voice of the larger intelligence. It's the voice of the supreme intelligence. You will never um, go wrong by hearing it. Absolutely. You can never go wrong by hearing it. You may distort it a little bit, but if it keeps calling you, that's something to follow. And nobody knows you. Nobody knows. Everybody knows themselves really well. It's just that they don't think that. It's just that they have been taught to believe that you really don't, let's go to the experts. Like, yes, there are a lot of experts there, but the point of the experts is to mirror that which you already know, and that's the work, to pull it out of you. Yes. To uncover, peel the layers within you that hide that information that you were never encouraged or taught 
or you never followed because you are probably, you know, people when they talk about, no, I know. It's like, what do you know? You don't know anything. Go do this because I've done it. And, you know, we, you know, you know how this whole conditioning and the belief system, how does it perpetuate and expand, become from, you know, from a family to a community to a society? Because we like people to follow us. So it, it validates us. If I'm doing this, who the hell are you to do something different? Because if you do something different, you make me look dumb. You make me look like I should have done this. Let's all do it together. So then I can kind of cushion or hide behind, um, you know, that there's a, you know, power in numbers, whatever. I don't know if that's been applicable here, but, you know, let me just hide behind like, oh, well, he did it. She did it. It must be right. Yes. And it just kind of succumbed to that um, thinking, which it does not serve us. And, you know, you said something very interesting, um, the proof or the, the specialized testing and the diagnosis, and they continue to test you, test you. It's like the diagnosis is already limiting. It has limited the patient in a way that the doctors, that you can't even imagine. It has created fear in them in a way that you can't even imagine. Now you continue to reinforce that fear by you are reinforcing their limitations. You are proving your point. But that's not even the point. Yes, that's right. You're, you're so right. Yes. I mean, that's not even the, the point is not to prove that my diagnosis is right. Therefore, you go that way and you become the cancer thing. That's not even the point. That's right. The point is, you know, somebody, the patient comes to you, a client comes to you, they're not, they're already fearful. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there to begin with. That's right. If you can't put that person at peace, at ease, then, you know, I don't know what the point of medicine is. Yeah, that, that is such an excellent point. I am really so glad that you that you brought that up, that really I did notice that, but I didn't notice it in the words that you just used, which is really let's let's all gather together in a big group and prove that we're right. And that also continued testing and all of that. It's once you're well, it's a way to they're still looking to be right. Really, the people that are testing you are still looking to be They're right. looking to be right. Yes. And for you to be wrong. I had actually never thought of it in those terms, but it's I think there's so much really. It's um, like reaffirming your own false beliefs. Yes. 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 You know, it's a narrow path. Like, you know, when you're doing the blood test and you get this diagnosis that is like, oh, there's cancer. Right. You already are focused in on that. You don't even see the person. That's right. Then what you keep on doing is you you narrowing the already narrow focus. That's right. How can possibly any result come out of that? Until you look at the bigger picture, unless you look at a person as a whole, integrated, holistic being, not just a diagnosis. Like the German doctor said, this is something that happened to you. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you were walking there, you fell, you hurt your knee. This is something that happened to you. 
Let me see what I can do. And the fact that he went page by page, reading over the whole analysis and describing and, and, and explaining it. You have no idea how many clients, you know, so many of my clients, I have to take the whole history, their whole diagnosis and da, 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 da. We spent the first session just under, just me making them understand. They don't know. They don't know why they were giving certain medications. Many of the medications are redundant. Many of them are overprescribed. And they don't, they don't even know or understand their own medical history. That's right. They, they don't. They don't. And that's what we untangle. I untangle with them so they understand. Not knowing is so disempowering. Yes. They're confused. They're confused. They don't know what causes their symptoms. So if they don't know what causes their symptoms, they don't know how to uncause them. The only thing that they're left to do is take a pill, do a surgery, do this treatment. It's kind of like a, a such a naive and a superficial way of looking at a being. And that we just keep dancing on the surface. Yes. We dance on the surface. We go here. We think, oh, a specialization. Well, it's still on the surface. Specialization is still on the surface. We never dig deep. We never look at the person in their fullness, in their wholeness. And... I think most of the most of the challenge in the Western medicine is, or most of the, I don't know what the word is. I don't want to say problems. I, you know, the 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 chaos is because nobody would dare go beyond the diagnosis or the physical. Exactly. Exactly. We are so stuck in the damn diagnosis and the pill to match it that we can't even see straight. Yes. That's where the problem is. Yep. And we're not. What a beautiful way. Yeah. yeah. What a beautiful way to put, oh, you know, this is something that happened to you. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly it. I mean, people come, you know, people that I work with, they're like, you know, after I did that podcast last time, somebody, um, I worked, I had a client appointment with a client. She said, I listened to your podcast. She said, it was so good. It made so much sense. She said, I arthritis. So I think I may have mentioned arthritis that, you know, people think, oh, I have arthritis, which means the worst kind of arthritis going to happen to me, which means the only option that I have once you have arthritis is the pills that match it. Well, if you understand, oh, you have an imbalance of this element, that element, now we're talking. And then you understand, well, how how in the world did I create these imbalances? That's where the power comes from. Yes. That's where we do the work and say, okay, I can uncreate it. Now that makes sense to me. So it really needs, you know, it is such a, like a psychological assault. It is. It is. On on people when we put a, you know, we stamp a label on their forehead and we make sure they never freaking forget it. Absolutely. You're so right. I have, I think I might've shared this before, but I have this, it's become kind of in line with what you're saying. It's kind of one of my pet 
my most preferred phrases right now when I talk to people who are ill, especially people with cancer, because I have coached other people with, without cancer as well, because the, the, the 10 healing factors, as the research goes on, there are other uh, amazing recoveries because of these lifestyle changes. They include MS, mm -hmm. and other diseases, diabetes, and a couple of other diseases. Diseases. So more and more, we're learning how important we're learning, and we're learning that actually, you know, chronic illnesses, Western medicine has no solution for it. It has no solution. Give for it up, it. people. They don't have it. It's you're creating a disease. You learn how to uncreate a disease. Right. Simple right. as that. What we have is symptom management, really, and exactly. And so. Yeah. Huh. So you know what I am. Um, your story was just so full of gems and nuggets. Thank you. I'm so there was glad. there was so much in there, and I um, really grateful that you came and you shared it. And I hope lots of people hear it. And for the benefit of people, so there are those who are listening. There are two books that uh, that I want to point out that people can get. They're written by Dr. Kelly Turner. One was is a 10 healing factors of radical remission. And she has written another book called Radical Hope. Are these books available on Amazon? Yes. Yes. Amazon, Hay House. Um, okay. Yes. Amazon has these books. So get a copy today. And if Andrea, if people wanted to, I know you said that you teach and coach people the same methods that healed you. If people wanted to reach out to you, can you please share your contact information? Sure. Um, my email is andrea-arisewellness at hotmail.com. And I also have a website and people can contact me through the website. And the website is ariseempowered.net. And I'm also on Facebook, as almost everybody is. I do have a Facebook business page. But those those first two are actually the best. So let me just repeat the email is Andrea. Yes, Andrea dash. Arise. Arise Wellness. Arise Wellness at Hotmail. Hotmail.com. Okay. And Andrea, what is your last name? Is that your last name? Last My last name is Sexton. S-E-X-T-O-N. Okay, so her name is Andrea, S-E-X-T-O-N. So if you wanted to find her on Facebook or social media and uh, reach out to her that way. So Andrea, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, now I know your contact and I'll be sure to see if there are people who can really use your help. And um, so, yeah, so with that, we will wrap this up. Thank you, everyone, for watching. I'm again, Mina Puri from Ayurvedic Healing Center. AreYouWearTheHealingCenter.com is where you can um, find out more about what I do. So thank you again. And I look forward to chatting with you next week. Take care.